So uh, my kids, they love the TV show, The Floor is Lava. And even if you have never seen the show, you get the basic concept. You probably played some variation of this game as a kid. And so uh, they not only love to watch the show, but they also like to reenact it. And so we do a lot of times, like yesterday, uh, my wife took out our daughter for a mommy-daughter date, and so I had the boys. And so, of course, we decided to wreck the house as much as possible while mommy's out. And uh, we set up our family room to do the floor's lava, right? You make your own obstacle course. And I put uh, Big Brother in charge. And you can see in the picture, like the little one, he is dutifully following all of the instructions that Big Brother gives to him. And uh, because uh, they set up, like, not just the floor, but even on the couch, like, there's a lava flow coming from the volcano. And so we found out, though, our little guy, it's too wide for him to jump over it, so he kept falling in the lava, no matter how hard he tried. And so Big Brother set up a a nice little cushion, a stepping stone for him so that he could uh, walk over the lava. And, uh, And this photo was taken just a moment uh, before that look of love turns into one of anger and a lot of tears as Big Brother shouts to Little Brother, oh no, volcanic eruptions, grabs the blanket and yanks it out from under him, literally flipping him upside down. Like the poor kid, like I I was too shocked to, you wouldn't want me, it would not be kind if I took another photo, but basically his head was down, feet up, uh, straight in the air. It was was a little bit comedic, come on. But I was very sad because my son was sad. And as silly as that sounds, I wonder if the reality is if that doesn't happen in life to you. What I mean is, like Chile, you follow the rules. You try to honor the authority above you. You try to honor God. And yet you still find that there are times that the rug gets pulled out from under you in life. And it's not because of your sinfulness or foolishness that you may find yourself on the verge of financial ruin or your family falling apart, or you get the test results back and it's cancer. And so the question we want to answer this morning is, what do we do when our lives are flipped upside down, even for those who follow Jesus? If you have a Bible, you want to turn in it to Daniel chapter 2. We are in this series between two worlds, how to live for Christ while living in a culture like Babylon. And we're discovering what uncompromising faith in God and uncompromising faithfulness in the world look like. And for those of you who haven't been here for the first couple of messages, we see because of the nation, Judah kept turning away from God towards idolatry and immorality, just as God warned them and prophesied in Jeremiah 25 and Isaiah chapter 39, the Babylonian empire comes in, conquers them, plunders them, takes their sons into service. And so Daniel, at the beginning of this book, is a very young man, about 15 years old, and him and his friends, their teenagers, are deported into this idolatrous culture where they're forced into royal advisor school. They're being trained up for public service to the king. And they have a decision to make along the way as they're experiencing this three-year graduate program. Are we going to be shaped by the values, the comforts, the identity of life in Babylon or by God? And so we saw in chapter 1, when they were facing a compromising situation, that Daniel resolved to remain faithful to the Lord. And in so doing, God gave him favor to thrive in this pagan job in this pagan land. And just like my son, despite doing what's right, 
Despite following the rules, through no fault of his own, he gets the rug pulled out from under him today in chapter 2. And the stakes are much higher this time. And so the question is, how does Daniel respond? And what can we learn from him? And what we discover, I'm just going to lay out the big idea for you ahead of time this morning. The big idea for this whole passage is that when your life gets turned upside down, that you and I need to continue seeking and trusting God for his wisdom and power. Now, I know that sounds very simple, but let's look at what does that look like biblically and practically in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in, stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants the dream, and we'll show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Thanks for sitting with me through a long passage. You see what's happening here is in verses 1 to 3, the Babylonian emperor, Nebuchadnezzar, he wakes up from this intense dream. It's not just stress. It's not just gas. He's so disturbed by it that he cannot go back to sleep. And so he calls his senior staff of wise men, not because they're just knowledgeable in things like politics and rhetoric. Remember that these wise men, they are also spiritual advisors to the king. And particularly, you heard them mention all these people like enchanters, sorcerers. They're all kind of synonymous, magicians. And you heard the word Chaldeans. Chaldeans were these spiritual Babylonians who would use astrology and pagan rituals to interpret dreams that they believed were from the spirit world or from the gods, plural. 
And so in verses 4 to 6, we see the Chaldeans, they're flattering the king. Oh, king, may you live forever. They're honoring him. Just tell us the dream, and we're happy to interpret it for you. But the king, he's a, he, you can see that he's a little ornery this morning. He's a little agitated, a little skeptical. And so he says to them, if you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, I'm going to have you torn apart, limb from limb. And I'm going to have your house, houses burned to the ground. But if you tell me both, the dream and the interpretation, there's great reward and great honor for you. No pressure. Let's go. And so in verse 7, you can see the, the Chaldeans are starting to sweat a little bit. Okay, dude, let's just, uh, maybe if you just tell us the dream, we'd be happy to, to look it up. And like back then, they have this little book of interpretation. It's kind of like an astrology book or like, like a horoscopes or fortune cookies where they would take all these broad categories and symbols and, and they were vague enough to kind of sound true, right? And so, oh, king, your dream means that, uh, that a big journey starts with a single step or, or that, that the opportunity for love is just around the corner. That's what your dream means. And then they get paid the big bucks for that. But the king is no fool. In verses 8 and 9, he says, I don't trust you. I think you're stalling, and you heard my decree, tell me the dream or die. <laughs> this guy does not mess around. And he also tells him, I know that you're trying to con me with made-up lies. Don't bother trying to fool me. But if you can tell me the dream, then I will know that you have real spiritual power and wisdom to interpret it. And so we see in verses 10 and 11, the Chaldeans, in defeat, they say probably the only truthful thing that they've said to the king so far. In a defeated tone, they say, there's no man or magician on earth who can do what you ask. Only gods, spiritual beings, supernatural powers that don't dwell among men could do that. And this is a very important admission on their part that we can't interpret your dream for you. We can't do that. Because you remember we talked about last time that Babylon is a kingdom that's built on this idea of independence from God, opposition to God, and that what they value in this culture is your ability and self-sufficiency apart from God. That yes, they pray to and have all these religions that worship other gods, but those gods serve their needs, not that they serve their gods. That's just one of many options that they rely on in their repertoire of ability and self-sufficiency. And so, now, for them, suddenly these wise men have their script flipped upside down. Their lives are in danger, and they don't have the wisdom to solve it, nor the power to change it. And the fallout isn't just for these idol-worshiping Chaldeans. It affects the followers of God, too. We see in verses 12 through 13, Nebuchadnezzar's so furious, he issues a royal decree for all the wise men to be rounded up for execution, including... Not just the senior staff, but the junior staff, including 18-year-old Daniel and his friends. Remember, this is three years out of his training program, so they're about 18-ish now. They're fresh out of advisor school. They're at the bottom of the pecking order. They had nothing to do with what's happening with the king. They weren't involved in this discussion at all. And so the point here is that like Daniel, even if you are faithful in trusting and serving Jesus, you will face problems beyond your control. That cannot be fixed by your own ability or your own morality or because you serve the Lord and love the Lord. And so I want you to imagine how powerless Daniel and his friends might feel at this moment. I've done right by God. I have done any wrong to the king, and yet now my life is over and done with. You follow Jesus, 
And yet there are going to be days or moments where you lose your home, you lose your health, you lose a loved one. And I want you to hear this clearly, just like Daniel. If you love the Lord and you live for the Lord and you're repenting of sin and your life still gets turned upside down, it's not because God is punishing you. It's not. That's not what's happening to Daniel. He's not being punished for doing anything wrong. But the reality is we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world that can be unfair and overwhelming. And what we can learn from that and glean from those moments is that our faith is not defined by who we are when life is comfortable and in control, but by how much we trust God when it's not. So that's the starting point. And how does Daniel respond to that? Look at verse 14. This is where we're really digging in. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Some of you know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names, but these are their Hebrew names. And he, he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So what's happening here is Daniel gets this knock at the door. It's Arioch, the captain of the royal guard, but not serving today as a protector, but as an executioner. Come with me, it's time to die. And now, most human beings, we would respond, at least inside, in one of three ways. Number one, you might want to fight. Not if I kill you first. <laughs> you might respond in fright, where you feel panicked and paralyzed, and you just kind of give up and give in to your fate. Okay. Some of us would respond in flight. Arioch, let me go get my coats. As you try to climb out the window and escape, and escape the city and throw your phone into the ocean so that nobody can track you. And what we see here is instead of fight or fright or flight, Daniel responds in faith. We see in verses 14 to 15 that he replies to this man with prudence and discretion. In other words, with wisdom. And it means that he's exercising wisdom because he trusts God may have a solution. So instead of defying Arioch, denouncing the king, despairing his situation, he humbly and wisely asks, what's the rush? Why is the king so mad? And so Arioch tells him what's up. So Daniel goes in verse 16 with him, but not for his execution, but to make a humble petition. Look, I'm not stalling like the other wise men. You, king, why don't you pick the, the time, because you're the king, and I know that you're busy. You pick the time, and I will come in and give you the dream and the interpretation. And the king actually grants this request. It's the same request in some ways that the, the other wise men were asking for. You give us a little bit more time. But he grants it because Daniel came to serve, not to stall. He came with humility instead of duplicity. And he came in prudence instead of panic. And so what we see in this moment is in verse 17 to 18, he rushes home not to scooby-doo these clues together and try to figure it out on his own, but to get his God-worshipping friends together to pray together, 
Two, it says to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And so what we learn from Daniel in this moment is that when you find yourself in over your head, seek God's mercy in both prudence and prayer. That we want to ask for help, we want to ask for guidance instead of relying on our own ability and intellect like a Babylonian wise man. And it reminds me, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, like James chapter 1, verse 5, where James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. In other words, without like ridiculing you or giving you a hard time about it, and it will be given to you. It reminds me of this story of a, wo a woman shared with me, uh, not from our church, but a woman named Sarah attends a church. But she was never one of those very churchy people. She never really got connected. She never joined a small group. And she definitely never would pray out loud in front of other people because she, she considered her faith a private, personal thing. Now, she worked on call as an ultrasound technician for a local ER. And then she was called in at 2 a.m. to have to deal with a situation. And then the doctor who was there said, there is a woman in exam room two, and there's nothing wrong with her. She's just crazy but we're legally required for you to run some tests. So good luck, go in there. And so she comes in and this woman is bouncing off the walls. She is highly agitated, woman in her 40s. She's barely able to sit still for the ultrasound and the entire time she's mumbling and, and crying and you, she's she apparently in pain as she's bouncing off the walls complaining of all this discomfort. And as Sarah was struggling to conduct this test, this woman blurts out to her, do you believe in Jesus? <laughs> and then she kind of hesitantly, mm, you, you could tell that she wanted to lie at that moment, but hesitantly, hesitantly said, uh, uh, yes, yes, I do, and tried to move on with the conversation. Would you pray for me right now? Because I need to calm down. <laughs> and Sarah was pretty dismayed. Praying out loud, praying with other people was not really her thing. And so she said, well, is this something that maybe you could do yourself or maybe you could get us started because she wasn't very comfortable praying out loud. But this lady says, I'm in too much pain right now. You do it. And so right there, this woman, young woman, Sarah, laid her hand. She never had done anything like this before. Laid her hand on this woman and started praying for her. God, please be with this woman in her time of need. Please give us wisdom to know what's wrong and how to fix this. Please put your hands on her and take away her pain. Simple prayer, three sentences tops. Almost immediately, this woman started to calm down. And we might think, well, maybe that's just a placebo effect because the woman prayed, because Sarah prayed for her. But then this thought suddenly started buzzing in Sarah's mind that she just couldn't ignore. You need to go recheck the gallbladder. And so she did. And sure enough, wedged in there was this four-millimeter stone that was causing her this excruciating pain. And so she immediately ran out, told the doctor, who overcame his disbelief because he really thought that this woman was just having a mental health episode, but believed enough to order an emergency surgery to help alleviate the pain and suffering of this woman. You see, I think about that situation because a lot of times we think like, it's only these great mighty warriors of faith that pray and God answers. But here's this woman it's kind of like you and me, just an average Joe, an average Sarah, I should say. Wrestles with her faith, doesn't like praying out loud, and she asks for wisdom, and God responds. And so I think about us, when you and I face impossible situations like Daniel, is prayer your first option or your last resort?
Because too often, if we're honest with ourselves, we're no different than Babylonian wise men, that we try to exhaust all the other possibilities until despair and defeat are pushing us towards God, towards Jesus. And I would guess that many of us, we don't ask God for help or for wisdom. We don't ask Him for guidance or assistance because one of two reasons. Number one, maybe it's because you have a faith problem. I just don't trust God is big enough or I don't trust God is good enough to do that. Or, number two, you believe the lie, I'm not important enough. God doesn't do stuff like that for someone like me. When the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that he already loves you so much that even in our sin, he would sacrifice his own son to save us. <coughs> so question, Pastor Josh, well, how do I know if I get this thought in my head that it's not, you know, Satan or, or just my own craziness, you know, kind of popping up an idea in my mind. And so what you do is you ask yourself, is this thought consistent with the character, with the history, with the testimony of God? Because he will never contradict himself or his word. So if you feel this conviction to solve your financial problems by robbing a bank or cheating on your taxes, thou shalt not steal. That's not from God. He will not contradict himself. And so that's how you filter out, is this really God speaking to me? Is it consistent with God's word and his character? And lastly, I want you to note that when Daniel comes and he doesn't turn to God on his own, he turns to God with faithful friends. Because we forget sometimes that our faith is not a solo sport. And a lot of times when we have difficulties, it's easy to turn inwards. And so I want you to be thinking, of, thinking about, like Daniel, who can you honestly and vulnerably share and pray your needs with? James chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 tells us that the church is instructed to pray together, to pray for one another in suffering, in sickness, in sin, in all kinds of circumstances. And that when we do, we experience God's power through praying friends with us. Is prayer your first option or your last resort in troubling circumstances? Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might, another word for power. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me, here's those words again, wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So we see in this moment, God answers the prayer, gives him wisdom and understanding, and Daniel responds by blessing the God of heaven in verse 19 through 20. For what? His wisdom and power. When you are overwhelmed by danger or despair or devastation in your life, what you don't need is fortune cookie cliches or false hope. You need wisdom and power. In other words, you need real guidance and real strength from a real God. 
And I want you to listen to how Daniel praises the Lord. In verse 21, it's not kings and regimes that have power. It's the God who has authority to raise and remove kings and kingdoms. In verse 21 to 22, it's not pagan wise men that have wisdom. But God is the light illuminating the darkness and the uncertainty, and he gives that wisdom to those he calls genuinely wise, those who are humble and faithful to him. You see, too often in our lives when we are facing overwhelming circumstances, we fear how the powers of the world can harm us, like King Nebuchadnezzar, or how the wisdom of the world will fail us, like the wise men. When we need to look to the God of heaven whose wisdom and power far surpass them all, whose wisdom and power is over every nation and situation to guide us, to give us strength in our faith and even in our suffering. And so in verse 23, Daniel not only blesses God for who he is, he thanks God for what he does. And I want you to see in this moment that Daniel pauses to praise God for giving his wisdom and power to him. And I want you to pay attention to this detail. When did he praise? When did he pause to praise the Lord? Even before he sees the king and the crisis fully resolved. Feel this moment. Despite this ticking countdown, Daniel doesn't neglect what's important for what's urgent. He turns his attention and his devotion back towards the Lord. He thanks him for his merciful provision of wisdom and might to those who are willing to love, trust, and follow him. And I want you to understand, this is not a religious obligation. Okay, God does something good for me. I need to say thank you. But I do think of it a little bit like parents and children. You ever see a kid when they're hungry or, or they're hurt and they're crying out for help? And when the parent rushes over and he does that, offers them help, offers them hope, then that kid runs off without acknowledging or without looking back. What do we call that? Spoiled, right? Entitled children, right? And do you know that sometimes we're like that with our Heavenly Father? That we tend to run to him in desperation and then we'll run right past him without any appreciation because we're so fixated on our own problems and our own pain that we forget to thank our Savior. So when God meets you in an area that has been flipped upside down in your life, remember to slow down, thank him for his guidance and his strength, even if the situation is not yet fully resolved. Okay, this is a lot of pre-information. So what do we actually do when we finally have to confront the situation, when Daniel comes in and confronts the, the plight that he's in? Let's wrap up with verse, starting from verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said this to him, I found amongst the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar in Babylonian, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. 
and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of, of what would be after this. And he, God, who reveals mysteries, made known, to, made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So we're going to stop right there, but we see here in verse 24 through 26, Daniel rushing to Captain Arioch. Don't kill all the wise men. I can interpret the dream. And so Arioch rushes him over to the king, and the king turns to him and says, can you? And verse 28 and 29, or excuse me, in verse 27, Daniel's powerful response is, there is no wise men or magicians who practice these false religions, who worship false gods. None of them can do this. We are powerless men, powerless idols. Verse 28 and 29, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And so he's going to reveal to King Nebuchadnezzar about all the future kingdoms of men that come after Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And you're wondering, like, when are we going to get to hear about the dream and the interpretation? You can hear it next time. Pastor Daniel's going to teach on that. But what's happening here is that there are times, like King Nebuchadnezzar, that our power fails us. Like the Chaldeans, our wisdom fails us. And Daniel's response to that is, but there is a God in heaven, and his wisdom and power are available to us today. Some of us, we've been trying to be faithful and wise with our money, but perhaps you lost a job, you made a wrong investment, you're on the verge of financial collapse. The good news is, but there is a God in heaven. You try to fix your relationships and make it work or fix your marriage or your family's falling apart. You try to fix what's broken. And instead of getting better, it starts to get worse. And you start to feel like there's no hope. But there is a God in heaven. And his wisdom and power starts where ours ends. Some of us, we're trying to overcome our addictions or our anger and to fill whatever is missing inside of our souls, and we keep failing time after time after time, and we start to think there's no point in trying. But there is a God in heaven, a God of freedom and fulfillment. And then there are times that we face death and disease whose words to us seem so final. And those two things have taken so much from us that we feel like we can never get back. And it feels like sometimes there's no point in trying. Won't death just take it all in the end? But there's a God in heaven. And because of the cross and the empty tomb, by faith in Christ, death is not the end of the story. And you, so you see, when there is a God in heaven, it changes how we see our problems and ourselves. It changes how we see everything. And I don't want you to miss this small detail, because I think this is the thing that 
the Holy Spirit is trying to emphasize to us this morning, though at the very end of this passage, this key detail is that Daniel concludes telling this, this information to the king with a humble testimony. It's not because I have more wisdom than anyone else, but this mystery was revealed to me by a God in heaven for the king. You see, I don't know about you, and maybe I'm, I'm just more selfish and sinful than you are, but whenever rescue or relief comes, it's easy to sit back, enjoy the credit, receive the reward. But instead, what Daniel does here is he gives glory to God in the presence of others, especially in front of the king of Babylon, who is not a God worshiper. You see, when God brings his wisdom and power to bear on our plight, will you be bold enough and humble enough to point people to Jesus and what he has done for us. In this book called Anointed for Business, this Christian business leader, he went to go train 200 other businessmen in, in a, at a conference in Buenos Aires and at a hotel. And so as he is uh, trying to wrap up the details, he's booking uh, the details for the next conference in October. He wants to come back to the same uh, hotel and the same city in Buenos Aires and, but he learns from one of the managers there that the hotel is actually struggling. They're struggling a little bit financially. And so he's just kind of praying, Lord, how can we bless, how can uh, you bless this, the management here at, at this hotel? And so Wednesday of that week, the manager comes to him and asks, uh, could you advance the funds for the booking that you're doing for October? And uh, he, this, as a Christian person, he kind of starts quoting to him from Acts chapter 3, gold and silver I do not have, but what I do have, I give unto you, right? Way to quote scripture out of context. And so this hotel manager, he's like, he's puzzled. What does that mean? <laughs> like, I, don't, I do not understand what you're doing here. And so he clarified, I'm just going to pray to Jesus to give us some help, some hope, some wisdom in this situation. Now, the man working in the hotel responded, well, if God is going to do something, he better do it quick. He better make it big because we need a lot of money right away. And so this Christian man, he assured him, I'm going to be praying right away to Jesus to help you in this circumstances and that I'm certain that God will listen to us. And then the manager confessed, well, I don't really believe in prayer, but this Christian man, it doesn't matter because we're the ones doing the praying and we do believe. And the manager says, well, I'm not sure I actually believe in Jesus either. And this guy comes, I assure you that after we pray, you will want to. <laughs> and so what happened is, remember, that's about Wednesday. And so uh, 6 p.m. that day, he prays to the Lord. We need some wisdom and power from you, God. 6.30 p.m., the hotel gets a call from the international airport. One of our 747 flights is delayed we need you to lodge 200 people. We'll pay in cash. Friday morning, he sees this manager again. Remember, he's, he's a Christian businessman. Pastor? He's not a pastor. Pastor, what does this mean? <laughs> it means there's a loving, powerful God in heaven. And then he led him to Christ right there on the spot. A few months later, he returns in October for that second conference that he had organized. And this manager, he wants to introduce him to the owner of the hotel, who is eager to learn more about this God who cares about people and even can heal his business. So he tells him the story, points the glory to Jesus, and in less than an hour, the owner receives Christ into his life as Lord and Savior. 
Five days later, the owner says, I want you to speak to all 12 of my hotel managers. And they all receive Christ. You see, when people experience the wisdom and power of God, and when we point it to Christ instead of ourselves, almost always they want to know more about him, as we're going to see with King Nebuchadnezzar later in chapter 4, as he gets curious about God. And so I want to encourage you this morning, no matter how faithfully you love and serve Jesus, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, someone or something is going to pull the rug out from under you at some point, and your life is going to get flipped upside down. And the world is going to say to you, be like the wise men. Rely on your own capability and maturity to get yourself out of this situation. And you're going to find just like them that your power and wisdom will fail you. But the Bible says, be like Daniel, whose approach is completely upside down. He says, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, so I'm going to keep seeking and trusting the God who is. Now, you and I, we deal with the reality of lives in this world, and we know that this doesn't mean that God always rescues us when we want or the way we want. But it does mean that his wisdom will guide us. It does mean that his power will strengthen us. And so it will put our problems and our pain into its proper place and perspective. And so what we need to remember is that, yes, he can deliver us today. But he, will def- he promises, I will definitely deliver you forever through Jesus. That that same wisdom and power that sent him to a cross, that paid for our sins, that kicked out the door on a borrowed tomb, that raised Christ from the dead, that upset all of history, that turned the world upside down and turns our lives right side up is available to us today. And so we keep seeking him and trusting him, even when your world gets turned upside down. May I pray for you? Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the power of the word of God. That there is a God in heaven who knows us, who has wisdom and power to rescue us and has so much love for us that you care about us. You know our needs. You know our pains. And so we come to you recognizing that In everyone's life, there will be times when we are turned upside down and we cannot fix it. We cannot solve it with our own wisdom. We cannot change it on our own power. But we praise you that there is a God in heaven who has wisdom and power beyond us, who cares about us, who can do what only you can do. So we ask that you would help us to come before you like Daniel, humbly, expectantly seeking and trusting you to be our help and our hope. Would you help us to turn from the idolatry of self-sufficiency? Not that we are supposed to do what we can do, but we recognize that we cannot be our own God, we cannot be our own Savior. And we praise you that Jesus is by far a better Lord and Savior. 
as we bring whatever hurts or burdens we carry today to you. We ask that you would meet us. I ask that your people sitting here today, if they ask you for wisdom and power, would experience you, would know and see that the word of God is good and true for their lives as much as it was for Daniel. So we praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus.